these are really important factors and I think everyone can make a difference by making that change, particularly at home. You can electrify your home, particularly your cooking, and have a massive impact on the way the future of energy is produced in this country. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking kitchens. We're talking about changing the world. We are talking about cooking safer and the electric future that we are all marching into. Our guest is Luke Burgess, who many people would know as a chef. Uh, I enjoyed his food at Garagist in Tasmania. He's also been in residence at Summertown Aristologist um, in Sydney at uh, 10 William Street. Is that right? <laughs> I think that's right. A while back. Um, he's also a photographer, co-authored a book on Tokyo with Michael Ryan. Um, he pops up in all kinds of places. Luke currently is a global CookSafe campaigner and kitchen consultant. He is going to explain to us what that means. Luke, welcome to Daddy Linen. Thank you, Danny. Pleasure to be here. It is really good to have you on the show. I'm excited about this conversation and about our healthier future. Um, when you meet someone at a party and they ask you what you do, how do you explain yourself? It's a bit tricky, actually, because um, the job description is a little bit more varied than uh, I ever expected it to be. Um, but I usually just say I'm a slashy and it's a uh, cook, chef, photographer, and all the rest in between. Okay, amazing. So what's what cooking are you doing at the moment? Um, I was running a private dining room for 10 guests last year in a, an apartment on top of a building in Hobart called Seven and a Half, um, which was a, a really fun long lunch on the weekends, um, sort of doing a bit of front house and also the cooking. And the odd, I guess, uh, pop up here and there and obviously just helping other people when they need it as well. Yeah, I love it. So tell us about uh, CookSafe. So CookSafe um, is basically a not-for-profit organisation that is looking to uh, promote and sort of spread the word on a safer way of cooking or just really embracing a, a newer form of applying heat to what we cook, um, and that is the electrification of kitchens and primarily through induction cooking. And who's behind it? Um, so basically you've got the European Climate Foundation and a bunch of other organisations who are involved. A lot of them are in advocacy work and uh, essentially providing information on the latest science, um, be it about uh, health or technology um, or how we've approached uh, our cooking in the past and how we're looking at in the future. Okay, and how did you get involved? A colleague of mine, uh, Gillian Middleton, who's a most excellent organic blueberry grower, um, also works in this space. And she sort of reached out to me last year and said, hey, there's a job that might fit your description so you can add all those slashes. And um, it was uh, basically as a kitchen consultant, a, um, a chef liaison consultant, and also a videographer and photography work. So I got a chance to combine all the things I enjoy um, and bring that together to help, I guess, spread the word and also learn a lot about the way the future of cooking is evolving. Okay. So I suppose, I mean, if we pull all the way back and maybe out of, you know, hospitality, what are some of the issues with cooking around the world? Well, the majority of the world um, is cooking over solid fuels or, or gas. 
Um, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, cultures that rely on this or have relied on it. And they are now, I guess, faced with uh, the, uh, I guess, the challenge of how to evolve what they cook. That includes us as well in the in the Western world. And essentially, we've got a change happening that's induced by many different things, but mainly technology, efficiencies, and costs. And the cooking with gas, which is what the majority of people do or have done for the last 50 or 60 years at least, is starting to slowly phase its way out. And electrification has made a bit of a, a resurgence. We all know that people have had electric ovens at home for quite a while and they're much better than the gas equivalent. But gas burners have always been seen as the, 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 the I guess, the pinnacle of, um, of cooking power and heat application. And it's not true anymore. So now is the time to sort of look at how we can transition away from gas into a, a using induction and other forms of electric cooking that actually give you the same results without affecting the flavor. And that's also universally available around the world. And what are the problems with solid fuel and gas cooking? Well, primarily solid fuel is about, uh, I guess, smoke and um, inhaling sort of the fumes and all the, the toxic components. Um, but outside of that, gas is a bit more of an interesting one because it's non-renewable and it's also quite destructive in, in, in the home um, and also to the environment. But essentially with gas, we're looking at, I guess, all the things we don't know about, um, its emissions, the way it behaves, the fact that it's a, a fossil fuel being piped directly into your home or business. It's volatile um, and it's also, I guess, in quite quite bad for us in terms of our health with many things I didn't realise before I got involved. Yeah, well, I think um, indoor air quality or household air pollution is like a massive killer. Like I was astonished to read some of the stats around this. I think it was 500,000 people die in India alone from indoor air quality and it's like over 3 million people around the world according to according to the World Health Organization. I mean that is that's urgent. It is and it's it's also you know just the tip of the iceberg. When you think about 12% of all childhood asthma globally is caused by cooking with gas indoors. And that is from gas stoves that leak 75% of the time when they're turned off. So even if you're not using it, it's still releasing uh, benzene and other toxic gases and compounds into your home. I think also what's interesting too is at home, we don't use the stove for as long as we say we would in a commercial kitchen. So people's extraction or ventilation is probably not as good as it needs to be. Um, and in Australia, it's definitely the case where people don't have the right air management system in their home to deal with the fact that you've got a leaking gas fit out or the fact that you're using gas in your home? Mm. I mean, I've got gas at home and I am looking at it sideways these days, just thinking about transitioning. And I suppose, you know, a lot of people listening to this that work in hospitality would be thinking, well, yeah, sure, sounds nice from a health perspective, but gas is what I've always used and it's what um, works best as far as cooking goes. Is part of what you do looking at some of those notions? Absolutely. And I think it's probably one of the most important elements because 
the fact that people feel this way about gas, and I was brought up and trained on on gas. You know, grew up with the natural gas promotions and dancing ladies, the blue flame, and and shaking the pans and being busy and and all the rest of it. But what you realise with gas um, is that the technology has been superseded, and in, in pure figures alone, if you're looking at from an economical standpoint, gas has thirty two percent efficiency. It means 68% of the gas is lost into the atmosphere, either through extraction or you've inhaled it. So you're losing twice as much of the energy as you're actually using with induction, not electric uh, tops, but induction cooktops, 85% efficiency. So almost three times as efficient as gas. And I think this is a huge distinction and one that I think as well means that we have to look at the way we cook and change our behaviours in regards to that. What do you mean by that? What cha- what behaviours do we need to change? Well, I think in design and the way we lay out kitchens and the way we uh, heat our food, the way we cook, with the gas range, we've always had, you know, four burners, six burners, eight burners, a target top, all of these things that are there for instantaneous use and reaction. But essentially, once you switch to induction units, you can almost halve the requirements because the response is instantaneous. And we look at a much calmer, less intense environment where the food itself is actually going to get better attention and detail. It's much cooler. There's less noise because the extraction requirements are less. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of the energy that have been in kitchens in the last 20, 30 years um, with that real bravado and, and sort of clashing and banging and, and whatnot just wouldn't exist in a kitchen where induction was the primary source of applying heat to your food. And from the cases I've seen, some people say it's remarkably different how you interact with the food and the equipment you're working with as well. That is so interesting. It, I mean, do you put a lot of that down to the noise and I suppose, you know, when there is noise, you, you know, you have to go a bit louder than the next person has to go a bit louder than, you know, so it escalates. Is it is it that? Is it is it the fact that there is, that we're feeling hot? I mean, what do you put that down to? Well, that, they're great questions and great things to consider. And I would say it's a combination of all factors. But what's really interesting, and I think woks are the perfect example for this, wok cooking You know, originally, wok cooking was solid fuel. It would have been charcoal or wood. So, you know, a nice soft aroma coming from it. Going to gas, particularly in commercial settings, they've got some serious, serious power in these HPAC jets. But with that comes afterburner sounds, lots of metal clanging and banging, and great amounts of energy and hearing industrial deafness style hearing uh, problems coming with it. So with induction woks, which have now reached um, their point of being not only as powerful, but more powerful than gas, you have less requirement for extraction fan uh, volume. You have no gas burning sound and you have less clashing or banging on metal on metal. And I think in some cases, like you can look at between 20 and 30 less decibels in your kitchen and at least 
10 to 15 degrees less in terms of ambient temperature and fan speeds of up to 80% less. So this is the perfect example to say that, that the technology now with induction walks and the environment that you have to work with them in is profoundly better than the gas equivalent. And, I mean, I hear you saying that they're as good as gas just in terms of, I mean, it's just the classic rebuttal for when people talk about induction, isn't it? It's like, what about the wok? Hey, um, I don't think I can use my wok. Like, are you sure that they are up to scratch? I am. And I, I do believe that what it is is technique. So when people would have cooked over charcoal or wood and had wok hay, what was that flavour coming from? Was it the heat on the metal? Was it some of the smoke coming back in? As we switch to gas, there is no smoke coming out of the gas. All you have is actually nitrous oxide, benzene, all these other pollutants, but you have extreme heat on the metal as well. So I think in the last 50 years, people working on wok wok masters have learned to actually transition from solid fuel to gas to create or keep the wok hay and they've managed to find the right way to create the right temperature. Now we have to find a way to control the temperature to produce the wok hay in induction woks because the power and the output from induction is more than you need to create the caramelized aromas and all the rest of it. I think it's down to technique. So I guess what you're saying is there isn't this centuries-old tradition of cooking as we as we think of it now, these, there's all, it's always been in transition. Correct. And I think if you look at what cooking for the majority of the time, it was about cooking over wood. And I mean, it, anecdotally, a, a famous uh, link to that was that the first deforestation of any nation in the world was in China and their fuel source was depleted. So cutting wood up into small pieces and cooking over a thin metal bowl-shaped object, which is the birth of what cooking, was in response to changing the technique and the way they applied themselves. So I think we're always in transition and we're always actually evolving with how we apply heat to what we eat. Mm, That's so interesting. I mean, like wood-fired cooking is such a massive thing in Australia at the moment and, I mean, you know, in other countries around the world. It's that that romance, it's the flavour. what do you think about that? Is there a is there a place for that? Absolutely, and I think I think it will become the domain of the professionals or people who are camping or people who can be bothered lighting a fire, waiting for it to die down to the embers are just right, and cooking over it. It'll be something that less people around the world will rely on daily, and become something that is used by a real small minority globally. I mean, on that point, what's interesting, solid fuels around the world, be it charcoal, wood, or say dung and whatnot, are still being used in sub-Saharan Africa, parts of um, India, Pakistan, the Middle East and whatnot. And some of them are being used indoors. Now, with electrification, these people are cooking on these fuels because it's what they have. But a lot of them happen to live in places where there's great solar exposure And with distributed solar, they can easily be plugging in a 10-amp induction unit into a socket that they plug their hairdryer into, their television, 
their pressure cooker. And in a heartbeat, these people would move away from solid fuels because for them, it's not about the romance. It's the reality of getting food onto the table with the resources they have. So I do think that wood-fired cooking, which I'm a great fan of and love it, is also a place for people to go to when they feel the need for it, but it won't be the basis of cooking for most people in the future globally. Um, And what about like there's been a move in New York recently to ban coal-fired pizza ovens, which has, you know, left some people up in arms. Again, it's that that romance, the tradition, you know, things have to, things, you know, change. Um, yeah, change is really problematic or troubling for, for people. Um, what about, yeah, what about coal-fired pizza, which is something of a tradition in New York? So is it coal-fired or, or wood-fired? It's coal, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, for instance, it's got to be mined, doesn't it, and supplied. But I think in a way charcoal um, has, has a similar property probably not as a higher burning temperature unless you select the right type of wood. But in essence, I've been to Tokyo and had wood-fired pizzas in places in Tokyo that have incredible carbon capture components that go on to their ovens because they're in basements of buildings or they're in the city. So, I mean, cost is another thing that always comes up. And, you know, we've recently... Uh, well, as you know, we're doing a series with Martin Burtz, who's opening a restaurant in Brisbane. Um, he wanted to do induction and then looked at the cost and it was just prohibitive. Um, where are we at on this journey? So, you know, 10 years ago when I got induction for the first time in my business, it certainly wasn't uh, as cheap as, or as inexpensive as it is now comparatively. Um, but it, it initially does cost more. The upfront costs are definitely there, but the long-term return and also other costs that you don't associate with uh, having gas appliances are really quite stark. So for starters, if you have a four to six burner gas stove or an induction, uh, sorry, a um, target top, you are going to have to clean it. You're gonna need to buy chemicals, you're going to need to put it through the dishwasher. You're going to need to buy gloves. And also you're going to have a staff member or multiple staff members scrubbing this down. They're also going to have to clean a hood, which takes all of the heat and extra pollution that comes from that. And combining those together per year for the average restaurant, your minimum saving on labor and all those additions is between $28,000 and $33,000 a year per year. Then if you have to get extraction installed for gas, it's probably going to be twice the price of what you need for induction because the fans have to be larger and they have to have more makeup air, larger plenums, more ducting. When you start to add all this together, you start to realize that maybe the unit you're buying costs more. For instance, an HPAC uh, gas wok is about $1,000 cheaper than an 8-kilowatt induction wok. So the HPAC top of the range, the pinnacle zenith of uh, gas wok is only $1,000 cheaper than the entry level 8 kilowatt unit, which is more powerful than it. But what you need in terms of extracting the air around it, the heat and the cleaning of it, you will actually make up that $1,000 in six weeks. 
So everything else that go because a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. You're talking about wages to clean all the rest of it. If it's thirty three thousand dollars a year, it's going to be a very easy way to equalize that. Overall, if you look at projects that have a lot of equipment that have to go in, yes, there could be a higher up front cost, but it's about people giving the right advice about the right hood you need and all the other things that go with it. So careful planning, design, really, really important. And I think just understanding what you need to put your your money towards and how to approach it is a case-by-case scenario. And we're learning more about how that comes together. Mm, I guess, you know, climate is a long game and it's very hard for humans to play that game as as we uh, as we know because of the mess we're in. Um, I, I guess you know one thing that that I think about Luke is that it's all very well for people to make these individual decisions um, because they know it's the right thing to do in in all the ways that you've outlined so so eloquently. But really, we need big society-wide change to help drive this. We need big corporations. We need governments who are really getting behind it and making it easy for people to make these decisions. What is happening in that space? Really interesting. Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, we talk about carbon footprints and all the rest of it and the onus on the individual, nothing works better than than industry and policy sort of leading the way. And at the moment, what people are realising, particularly in the property sector, is that, you know, assets and the value of assets is really, really important to, you know, the share price of a company or the stability of a superannuation fund. And we have, fortunately, people like the Green Building Council of Australia who are constantly giving information to developers and property owners about how they can build their buildings better to get a higher star rating, which in the end actually increases the actual value of the asset. So with this totally separate mindset, which is about in retaining value or increasing value of an asset, one of the things is you have to actually remove things like gas. So it's no point having incredible insulation, amazing glazing, you know, upcycled this and that if you're piping a fossil fuel into the building. So in essence, a lot of these property companies are saying, well, okay, we can't have gas, so what's the solution? And when we look at the size of uh, the actual holdings on these properties and who's the owners of them, we are talking over a trillion dollars in investments here that will need to shift from gas to electric in the coming decade at least. Um, And that incentive is going to be a huge driver in how we are maybe forced against our will to, to move with their requirements because at the end of the day, their assets will lead the, I guess, the priority so if you're an owner of a franchise like a McDonald's or a walk-on in or any other person that wants to operate in a commercial property and there is no gas on site, you will have to have an electrified kitchen. So it's not a case of uh, if, it's actually when, and it's moving quite quickly. So uh, are you feeling, I mean, how quickly, like uh, is it are most new builds going to be electric? I would say, look, we've got people talking about 
um, getting off gas by 2028, 2030, 2032. But actually, the property sector is moving much, much faster than that. And they're doing a lot of in-house work on you know, how they heat their buildings with uh, heat pumps as opposed to using any other type of gas, how to get the right amount of power in there. So these people are working on it because at the end of the day, I think they need they need to give themselves plenty of time for contingency and upgrading, but also with new builds, the infrastructure required to bring gas in when it's the only other service coming in, it starts to stand out as being just uh, plainly annoying. So that's the reality. I mean, there's, there's talk about, say, for instance, what will it mean for jobs? But, you know, you've got, say, your electricians who are going to be busier than ever and you've got your plumbers and gas fitters who potentially may lose one part of their job. But for the next 20 years, who's going to decommission all the gas piping? Plumbers. So they're going to be busy as well. And in the meantime, they'll be transitioning over their role. So this is a huge opportunity for change across all sectors. And everyone's going to be influenced by this. I, I had to think about this recently and understand that this is going to affect every single person, not only in Australia, but in the world. Because without knowing how you're going to keep warm, eat your food, cook your food, power everything in the modern economy, then then there's no way to actually understand how you're going to evolve what you do professionally or personally. So this is really one of the, the biggest changes that, that we'll all see in our lifetimes. Mm, well, you make it sound very exciting and positive. I mean, for someone who's listening to this and perhaps they're working in a restaurant where, you know, it's gas left, right and sideways um, <laughs> and, you know, the transitioning seems all too hard. I mean, is there anything that people who are just embedded in the old ways can can do at the moment? Absolutely. I mean, have a look at like why why you like using gas. I mean, what is it that draws you to it? And see if you can think of other ways of integrating the technology into your, your kitchen. For instance, if we can't all go out and buy hardwired three-phase dedicated induction cooktops, get a couple of bench-mounted ones, give them a go. Try working with them. For a couple of hundred dollars, you can get an insight into the technology and how it functions. Uh, We now have induction fryers, so fryers that actually have a faster recovery time than traditional ones that require less cleaning. I I, I think in many, many ways, I, I, I was asked a question recently about, okay, so give me one pro about gas. Give me one reason why you you wouldn't switch over. And I just haven't been able to come up with any answer whatsoever because I just can't see one. I mean, I think about cleaning. I think about efficiency. I think about results. I think about health. I think about all the other factors. And I do just believe it's a redundant technology. And, you know, I think... We will have to adapt and change. But anyone who's sort of a rusted on gas aficionado um, and wants to keep using it, I guess in some way, shape or form, there'll be LPG or bottled gas or whatnot. But I think it's about horses for courses and finding out how the new technology fits into what you do and slowly start to warm towards it. 
Luke, uh, we did a series on Dirty Linen recently about um, Santos exploring for gas, for coal seam gas in the Liverpool Plains. And I spoke to so many people around that and couldn't understand why there was any notion of it going ahead, why there would be this um, really contentious, dangerous um, intervention in a landscape that was used for, it was incredibly fertile for growing food for us all to eat. And the only real reason I could come up with was that the government was in the pockets of the gas companies. Um, it was the only real thing that made sense. Um, given this, do you think that we're moving slower as a society than we should be? Absolutely. And I think, the, I mean, to not to get too political, but essentially when, when you've got the ability to donate money to a political party to lobby them, um, you have a great deal of power. And, I mean, a lot of these, these uh, companies and businesses that are involved in the energy sector are very much aware of, of timelines, supplies, sort of when things will begin and when they'll end. And I think dragging it out as long as possible is purely motivated by profit and also because the infrastructure is there and there's, a, there's the requirement for return and shareholders return and whatnot. But I also think government subsidies too. So, for instance, in Queensland, they've been taxing coal production quite heavily for a few years now to then take that funding and reinvest it in their forward-thinking green energy plan. And in essence, it's a great great idea. And it's probably what has to be pursued in, in, in sense we can't just turn off the lights tomorrow and pray for the sun and the wind. But I think it's really going to be important for large business and corporations to understand that in the future, past fossil fuels, there's going to be a huge market and a great deal of profitability for many, many people if we make that move much faster. And to not, I guess, get too uh, dark on this, but the IPCC have, you know, said we are really at, at a at – a, point of no return now. We have to act now. And I'm no science or climate science expert, and I don't really talk so much about the climate impacts as much as what I know about in terms of the kitchen and, and, and whatnot. But these are really important factors. And I think everyone can make a difference by making that change, particularly at home. It's, um, you know, with distributed solar into your home, even without batteries, um, you can electrify your home, particularly your cooking, and have a massive impact on the way the future of energy is produced in this country. Mm. Well, I think one of the problems, Luke, is that people think they need to be an expert or that they are an expert and they don't listen to the actual experts. So you don't need to be a climate expert to listen to the IPCC <laughs> and realise that there should not be any new coal or gas. That is that is, that is is basic. We can, we can can I reckon we can all agree that the scientists have nailed it and we just need to fall into line. We're all living Absolutely. we're all living here. So um yeah, I think that's it's really inspiring. Um and it's yeah, it's great to chat to people who are um I guess making change seem so within reach and you know actionable and that we can all make a difference. Um it's I guess it's it's tough times for a lot of hospo to think about making changes that haven't 
you know, an extra upfront cost. But I think, um, yeah, just even as you say, like getting a, a hot plate um, or an induction plate on the bench top isn't a bad place to start. I've got one myself, had, had a great time experimenting with it and, yeah, found it so efficient, um, so quick. Um, yeah, and, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great piece of kit. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And I think also one thing to think about as well is that, and I believe this will happen, and what we're sort of aiming for is for government um, involvement. So whether it's a dollar for dollar or a grant scheme to help businesses make that change and with it to provide information, consultants, the whole package, um, I can really see that being a uh, feature of the way the government's energy policies will be rolling out in the next few years. So for people in those businesses, and I was one of them, we had to sit there and um and ah about, oh, do I get it, don't I? It's a bit more than I was willing to pay. Um, I think there will be some help there and it shouldn't be too far away. Awesome. I look forward to those announcements. Luke, thank you so much for coming and having a chat to us today. Um, Stay in touch and let us know about future developments. Pleasure, Danny. Pleasure to be here. Will do. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.